I'm excited about today's passage. It's a short passage, short and sweet, as we get into it, and I'm going to have some fun kind of placing this together as we are in Galatians chapter 2, just the last couple of paragraphs in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, which come at the end of Paul's argument for his authority as an apostle and the message that he preaches, and right, and it kind of hinges into the rest of the book in regards to how the believer relates now to the law, what the law's done, justification by faith, how that lives itself and works itself out as a church. And so, we start with verse 15. We ourselves are Jews. He's talking about him and Peter and other Jews who now follow Jesus. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Put that in uh, quotes if you might. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, put that in quotes again, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I, this is Paul speaking, rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For, though the law, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in my body, <clears throat> I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ Jesus died for no purpose. Pray with me. Father, we enter into a passage this morning that is rich in truth and hard for our wicked and fleshly hearts to abide by freedom, justification, truth. Life in you that is found through the work of your son, Jesus. So as we go through this passage, we pray that you guide us. Your spirit empower us to know, see, feel, believe, and trust what is said, that we could be different because of it. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I may be wrong. I think I have made it my entire tenure at Genesis without making a Shawshank Redemption illustration. And now it's time. If I'm wrong, don't tell me because I feel like this moment's a good one for us. <clears throat> so, first of all, phenomenal movie, um, but also, you know, there's only one answer, and it's that that's a phenomenal movie. If you disagree with me, you can't tell me, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to listen. But there's a character in that movie called Brooks Hatlin. Remember Brooks? You've seen it, Brooks Hatlin. He was the librarian. He was in there for like 50 years. And Brooks was getting towards the end of his time, and he was essentially going to be removed from prison. He was going to be freed up. And he didn't want to go. He did not want to go. He didn't know what life was like out there. He didn't know anything. And so he was trying to find ways to stay because he had, you know the phrase, become institutionalized. He was much more at home in prison. That's where he was comfortable. That's where things were familiar. That's where uh, life as he knew it had happened. The bulk of his life was spent in prison. 
And so that's what he knew, that's what he lived like, and that's what he was familiar with, and that's where he had friends and family and people that he got to talk with, that's where he had authority, that's where he had knowledge, that's where he was kind of a dude who was important. And he was freed. He didn't want to be freed, but he was freed. And it doesn't go there long, but the world had become an incredibly different place. He has a specific line that he uses that there about people getting in a hurry, they're starting to get in a hurry. But he cannot handle being free. Now, there's reasons for that. You can, I know that some of you go, well, they needed to do a better job of transitioning him. They needed to do this, they needed to do that. But the story itself is just him being broken about the fact that he couldn't stay where he was and not being able to handle the world that he now lived in. So he ends up taking his life. If you haven't seen the movie, shocker, right? Um, there's, is a, like, after like, the movie's been out 20 or, years or so, you can talk about it. But he can't handle it. He can't, he can't handle things on the outside. He doesn't know how to operate. He doesn't know how to live. He doesn't know how to talk. He's so used to being under the authority of the prison that he lives his life like that. And when he is no longer under that authority, he doesn't know what to do. Galatians is a book where that same thing is going on. People have been freed through the work of Jesus Jew and Gentile together in one body. They now belong together in Christ. And those who are familiar with the Mosaic law, all of these ways in which they are supposed to operate and live and behave, ways that God structures and orders their life and their sacrifices and their worship, now you essentially, through faith in Jesus, are saying these things are no longer significant for my salvation. In fact, not even significant, if I try to use these things in order to find salvation, I will not find salvation. So it's not just more it's not just like, oh, they're no longer helpful. It's like, no, 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 they're actually harmful for how you live. So you can't really go back to that. Paul was a good Jew. Peter was a good Jew. And so they're having to wrestle through this idea and you'll see it in the book of Acts as well as you read as you get in chapter 9 and and Paul comes to faith and 10 and Cornelius is coming to faith and then in 15 in the Jerusalem council and people are trying to figure out what do we do with these Gentiles how do we how do we live life together through faith in Jesus alone well the Galatians some of the first people that were evangelized there, Paul is writing, and if you have read with us in the reading plan, Paul has some pretty strong words for the church in Galatia and how they have abandoned the message of grace. And what has happened is other people have come in, called Judaizers, other people have come in and they have started to say to them essentially, oh no, 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 like we understand Jesus is good, but you also have to fulfill some laws so that you can kind of make it complete, right? It's kind of a Jesus plus. So you, you have to understand Jesus. We don't not like Jesus. Jesus is great. But if you want to live faithfully, there's other things that you have to do. And there's other ways that you have to live. And there's things you have to obey. <clears throat> Which now think about it. Think about our friend Brooks here. It makes sense. It makes sense that somebody who's familiar with a system is trying to bring that system into what they knew. But the problem for us and what's kind of spurred the Apostle Paul to write Galatians is you can't do that. When it comes to our salvation, 
our faith in Jesus, you cannot import other ways of believing and behaving and still have the gospel. You can't bring in other activities or habits and go, Jesus is good, but you also need to live like this. You also need to perform in this way. And so the book of Galatians in chapter 1 and into chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about his authority to preach the message that he does. And so in chapter 1, he's saying, I was given this divinely. I'm not preaching man's gospel. I'm not preaching just any words. I'm preaching words that were given to me by the Lord and a message that was verified by the apostles. They heard me say it. They've heard me preach it. They kind of checked it out that this is how Jesus saves. Moreover, the apostles accepted me, and not only that, but Peter, one of the leaders of the gospel to the Jews, and one of the guys who saw, Acts chapter 10, saw Cornelius come to faith. That's just for us to remember. Peter, when he was with people who were Jewish, he would shrink back from his freedom and start to live like a Jew again. And so he said, you know, he started to live by the law. He would no longer eat ham sandwiches. He wouldn't do those kinds of things. He would go backwards and operate in ways that were familiar to him. And Paul calls him out on it. Because it's not just like, hey, why are you acting this way? It's no, no, no. When you do that, people do not understand Jesus anymore. When they see you leading people and trying to find justification through law, they no longer are understanding how faith in Jesus operates, which is why Paul says, when Peter, Cephas, came to Antioch in verse 11, if you want to bounce up there, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. So Peter was like, yes, we are saved by grace through faith. Every, everything is clean. People are clean. You can live like this because this is what Jesus has done. He's changed us. But when these Jews came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically among them, along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray, right? Because they're in this kind of sensitive time where they're trying to reconcile the new message of Jesus and how they're saved with everything that they have lived for, everything they've done. This is a struggle that most of us, if not all of us in this room, don't have because we didn't have a system. So we're like, great. I get to believe in Jesus. Then we go creating new laws because that's what we like to do. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that means the news of Jesus, his, his salvation by grace and through faith, when I saw that Peter and others were behaving in a way that was not in keeping with the gospel, I said to Peter, Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? If you're, you're going back and forth. So why are you trying to get Gentiles now to live like Jews? That doesn't keep up. So then, often, if you're reading in your paper Bibles, you'll see kind of this break here. And there is, we have to just recognize, the passage that we're in kind of comes in context of Paul's confrontation with Peter. Some might actually take the quote marks that end at that sentence and move them to the end of verse 16. They include 15 and 16 in Paul's quote to Peter. Now listen, with this in mind, that Paul is still considering his conversation with Peter, let's go back to the passage, and I think these pieces fit together better for us. He starts by saying this in the first two verses. All are saved the same way, through faith in Jesus. Everybody. 
Everybody is saved the same way through faith in Jesus. Verse 15. We ourselves, Peter, we ourselves, you and me, buddy, we're Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners, just this kind of other group of people. We don't live like that. We haven't known that. And I say some of your translations put that in quotes because he's kind of like being derogatory, but not really because he knows the message. So we're not like the Gentiles because, right, everybody has a group of people who are worse off. We all have, oh, at least we don't do that. At least we don't vote like that. You know, we, we, we follow Jesus in this way. We don't believe or read these authors, right? He's doing the same thing. We're Jews by birth. We're not these crazy Gentile sinners over here. Yet, we know, Peter, you and I know better, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, made right by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be saved. And what was Peter doing just above us, you know, that paragraph above? Peter, spending time with Gentiles, and then the Jews show up, and he's like, no, 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 no. Think about how many people that confuses. Okay, so, you know, Pete, am I, am, I'm a Gentile. Am I supposed to do what you do? Or, or am I supposed to, are you supposed to do what I do? And so the Jewish leaders who show up with Peter and Peter starts to pen, spend time with them, they think, oh, all's well. The Gentile people who are watching Peter see him draw away and they're like, I now no longer know what to do. This is why doctrine, right, what you believe and how you behave need to be synced up. A lot of us believe really well and then behave really poorly. The same way you could behave really well and believe really poorly and both are an incredible danger to the church. And so Paul looks at what's going on and he's like, you can't live like that. You're leading people astray and this is eternal. This isn't just like, oh, you had a bad day. The significance of teaching people that they must abide by the law in order to be saved is that people are not saved. The weight that this carries. So we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners and that idea is going to come back, which is why I want you to think of that, Gentile sinners, Yet we know, even being good Jews who abide by law and did the things we're supposed to do our whole life, even we know that a person is justified by faith and not by works of the law. This is an issue that even if we do not have a Jewish background, we will keep going back and forth into unless we latch tightly onto Jesus and stay there. Law is such an easy way to control behavior in such an easy way to try and control sin. But the problem is, what it does is it actually exposes sin, because who in the world like, can do it, for one? But we can communicate that, oh, if you just do these things, you're saved. This is why when people come to faith, it sometimes becomes so difficult, because they go, well, what should I do? Oh, I should just do all the things that people I see following Jesus doing. And you have to do a lot of work to go, no, 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 no. We do these things out of love for God, God's love for us. Not so we gain God's love for God, you know, our love for God, but God's love for us. So these statements become significant for us that we hold on to this idea that we are made right with God through the work of Jesus and faith in that. Not through our work in doing some things well and other things not so well, but let's just keep abiding by the law. 
So those close to God and those far from God come to God through faith in Jesus. Jew, Gentile, through faith in Jesus. If we add anything to that, we are teaching people a false gospel. I said a couple of weeks ago that I don't like the way that the word heresy gets thrown around because we'll call anything heresy. We're like, oh man, you know, I, 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 I interpret this passage just a little differently than you do. Am I a heretic? I'm like, okay, I get it. But no, <clears throat> heresy are things that if believed or if preached or if proclaimed lead to the hearers Right, let's assume that I preach it to a group of people who have never heard the gospel, that if I preach it, they will not find life in Christ. If you preach to people, Jesus loves you, and he gave himself for you, and through faith in him, and living a really good life, you can be saved, you have preached a false gospel. But it sounds like you're preaching a nice one, right? It sounds like you're doing people favors because you're kind of modifying behavior a little bit. So trust him and do these things and live like this and believe this. Now this is hard and it's especially hard. Put yourself in the context of a Jew at that time, right? Somebody from the Jewish faith who for centuries have had like law and prophets, they've had the stories, they've followed the law as much as they can. We've already seen unfaithfulness is a pretty common thing, but they've kind of been there in the stream. And now, Han shows up, and he's like, hey, I'm in too. And you're just going, wait a minute, it shouldn't be that easy. It shouldn't be, you should have to do some work in order to get yourself in there. Look at all the stuff we've, at least get circumcised, ain't no way, right? Like that's, what, that's one of the conversations, like you need the mark of the covenant here and circumcision was our thing and so you have to do that. That was what the Jerusalem council was all about. Should we go ahead and get these kind of Greek guys circumcised so that they can, you know, follow the law and do the works right and kind of be in? And they're working out this idea which is just so difficult. You're free. Now, you take the idea of freedom, and this is what the Judaizers do. They go, oh, no, 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 no. Like we, if people are free, they might just go crazy. They might just go crazy. Like, if you learn how to swim, that's awesome. But we're not going to drop you in the ocean because you may not be able to swim enough. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create some systems and structures that allow for you to swim but also will protect you in case you don't swim strongly. And so it's that kind of idea where you go, well, if you're free in something, that's great, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna, to full extent of that might mean this, and we're a little afraid of that. So we're gonna start to teach you ways that can help you kind of learn how to be free. And Paul's going, you can't do that. You can't do that because you're actually preaching something different than what Jesus has done and what Jesus died for. But it's what we do, it's kind of our nature. And so we create, and we're like, we don't want to create hurdles to Jesus, just little speed bumps. Just little speed bumps to kind of slow you down, right? Or road humps, right? Those things are the worst. You know, you're kind of going, it's like, right? You know, these long things just kind of get there, and you're like, oh, golly, I'm slowing down. 
So we don't want you to not follow Jesus. We just want to slow you down a little bit because your freedom is important, but if you live this way too much, it could get really bad. And so many of us are like that. Hey, look out. You know, put the beer down. Don't need to do that. I remember I saw one time they were like evangelizing. At, we were in New Orleans. They were evangelizing some guy. And <clears throat> this family was like, you know what you need to do? Just, just put the beer down and let's have a talk. And I'm like, I don't think that dude is in any spot where he's even interested in putting that beer down. Like, he doesn't want to. Uh, so why are we, why, why is that like our lead dog in this conversation? Do this and then we'll talk. But it's what we do. Behave like this. <clears throat> we will talk to you after. Get a little cleaner. Now, I'm not talking totally clean. Jesus is going to do the rest. But get a little cleaner and you'll be good. That's what's going on here. And Paul has to reiterate time and time again. And the rest of this book is dedicated to this idea. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works of the law. Now he's going to go into it a little further. He's going to continue the argument in verses 17 and 18 by saying he's going to, rebuilding old systems is useless. Useless. <clears throat> Keep the Peter situation in mind, okay? This is where this is all coming out of his conversation with Peter. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we live through life in Christ, we are too, we are also found to be sinners, because both the Gentile sinners and now the good Jew sinners are coming to Jesus the same way. So if in our endeavor to be justified through Christ, we're grouped in with the sinners, does that make, and he's using kind of the Judaizer argument, does that mean that Jesus is a servant of sin? Does that mean that faith in Jesus leads us to sin more? No, it doesn't mean that. Of course it doesn't mean that. And much of Paul's ministry spent trying to explain that idea, it seems. Like, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't sin more. Should we sin more that grace could abound? Of course not. Of course you don't sin more so that you feel more grace. That's not how you live. That misunderstands what Jesus did for you. It doesn't free you to sin more. It doesn't make Jesus a servant of sin. And then it's like he takes one to the teeth of the Judaizers right here in verse 18. Hey, look. You might think that's a good idea, so we'll just kind of go back to living, and living lawfully, because that's better for you. But if I rebuild what I tore down, that would be works the law. I actually proved myself to be a transgressor. Why? Because he's believing and behaving in a way that is not in keeping with the gospel, which is a direct affront to Peter. Peter is rebuilding what he tore down. So if I live like this, I actually become the sinner that you're afraid I'd be if I live justified through faith in Jesus. So you're afraid that if I live freely, I'm going to become a sinner. But here's the truth. If I rebuild old structures, that's how I actually become the lawbreaker. Because I'm teaching something different than what Jesus has done. It is useless, he says. It is useless to rebuild an old structure. You have to learn how to live in the new one. You have to learn how to live in the new one, which is for us an incredibly difficult endeavor. 
because it is true. Faith in Jesus is radical. Grace, God's grace, I help with this class at a seminary, and I use this phrase a lot, grace is repulsive, because it makes you subordinate. It makes you necessary to receive something, and that's not what our culture says. Grace in Christ is repulsive at times when you think about what it forces you to admit about yourself from a worldly perspective. And if we actually mean what we say, then this means that the most hideous person on the face of the earth can put their faith in Jesus and have the exact same salvation that you have. And we don't want that. We don't want that. And so what do we start to do but rebuild or build structures that prevent the people we don't like from getting into the salvation that we do? And that's incredibly difficult. Because all of you, all of us have people in our minds who are sinners. People that shouldn't really be here. That if they walked in, you might want to walk out. And if they lifted their hands in worship, you would doubt their salvation. That if they were here joyfully, you would go, you must be misunderstanding something. You should feel worse about yourself because I feel pretty bad about you. Friends, family, people in culture, whomever it might be. There are all people that we say, no, 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 get out. And this is a life and death thing. If that is Genesis Community Church's view, that it excludes people because they've lived a certain way, believed a certain thing, done certain things, then our gospel is not dangerous enough. It's way too safe. Because the message that Jesus Christ saves sinners like you and like me is dangerous. When people see that and they're like, wait a second, you mean I can be forgiven for everything that I've done? Yeah, that's absolutely what I mean. And we're so quick because this is the law people in us. Oh, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like there needs to be restitution. I'm like, of course there is. Yeah, sure, whatever. Fine, yeah, I get it. They should never be able to lead in this situation. Okay, great. Why are we leading with that idea? Already we're starting to rebuild structures that prevent people from joyfully pursuing God because we do not view their freedom as something that is worth it, but ours is. And so we have to make them live a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way and school a certain way and make a certain amount of money and live in a certain part of town and do certain kinds of ministry. And when they do those things, then you can come in then we will truly extend the right hand of fellowship to you. The gospel message is dangerous. But what is significantly more dangerous is misunderstanding it and misapplying it. Because people then see it 
and they don't understand who Jesus is. It takes sometimes years or a lifetime to understand that. To continue to remind yourself that even if you have read your Bible every day for the past bajillion years or you're doing our F260 with us and you haven't missed a day of it, that God loves you no more or no less because of the work of Jesus. But if we rebuild what we tore down, or often in our instance, if we start to build things that never existed, then we actually preach a gospel message that is damnable. And so Paul continues with the reminder of where our new life is in verses 19, 20, and 21. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law is gone. Jesus was the perfect law abider, and Jesus died. He did it perfectly. Through Jesus' sacrifice, God sees me as perfect in a sense of salvation. And Paul continues with the verse that of these you probably know the best. If you're familiar with the navigator's wheel or anything like that, this is one of the big nav verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, loves me and gave himself for me. I, Paul, crucified the person that used to live this way, dead in Christ, gone. Now what you see is Christ living in me. The life of freedom that I have, the gospel that I preach, is because of Christ in me, not because of me. So what you see me living now in the flesh, in this body, I do by faith. Because the walk of faith is in the walk for the person who has put their faith in Jesus. Not the walk of sight, not the walk of law, but the walk of faith. And I live this life by faith in Jesus and who loved me. Let's not forget that part. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. That God loved you enough to free you. He loved you enough to give himself up for you so that you could live a life by faith. You could live with him freely, joyfully, gladly. That you could smile more, and lift your hands in worship, and go, that old life and those things that I did, they have no hold on me. I'm no longer identified by that. It's gone. It's gone. One of the most beneficial things we can do in our discipleship of young believers and mature believers, because this doesn't leave, is to remind them that they're free. And the importance both for their walk with the Lord and for their declaration of the gospel and their demonstration, the way they show Jesus to people, is to live freely. 
that if your gospel, not in theory, think about Peter up above, the paragraphs above, if your gospel in theory accepts everybody, but your gospel in practice doesn't, then your gospel is inconsistent. I, I think all of you here who are Christians this morning could pass the in theory gospel test. I do not think we could all pass the in practice gospel test. Because that's where it gets scarier. Yeah, love people like me. Who live differently than you. I have to love people like you. Both of those things. When Paul goes, Peter was not living in step, in keeping with the message of the gospel. A rebukable offense. It wasn't like a, hey man, you know, would you consider doing it differently? It's like, no, you do that and you are going to send people to hell. Don't do that. Then he goes back to kind of summarize this idea that's been developing, really chapters 1 and chapters 2, but he says this in verse 21. I, Paul, do not nullify, remove, render powerless the grace of God by rebuilding, by living by the law. Because if righteousness, that would be right standing, right before God, were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Go ahead and circle no if you're a Bible circler. Circle no purpose. What Paul says here is that if righteousness is found through abiding by the law, if we can be right with God through the law in any way, then Jesus didn't need to die. Christ's death is for no purpose. It's not even noble. It's worthless. Either Christ died so that through faith in him, any person might come to faith. Or he didn't. And of course, Paul's argument with his if-then statement, if righteousness is found this way, then Christ died for no purpose, clearly he's not speaking like you would go, well, if you do this, then I'll do that. Like it's an actual outcome. He's speaking about it to go, why would you even think that? Why would you even believe that? Why would you even latch on to that? Because if you could be saved, and Jesus, remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? If there is any other way for people to be saved than through my death, let's go ahead, make now the time. If there is any other way so in a sense, Paul is just reiterating what Jesus was well aware of. If there were some other way, this wouldn't have happened. So I heard about a church one time, and I'll put it into other church mentality because that helps us sometimes not you know, feel called out. I heard about a church one time, uh, I was at this conference, and I'd mentioned this church in California that was just awesome at hospitality, still like, as close to heavenly hospitality as I've ever seen in my entire life, I've seen no one, nowhere, anywhere come as close to what this church can do. And um, I was talking to either, it was one of their pastors, or maybe it was their lead pastor, I can't recall, um, 
But he's like, yeah, man, I've heard about this church. And I think it was in Ohio. And so here we are drawing about churches in states other than the ones we know of. And he goes, I think it was in Ohio. He's like, and they are, he's like, their leadership is okay with a, a way different amount of sinful behavior than we are. Now, let me explain what I mean. I don't mean that they're sitting there preaching going, like, you should sin more. Right? Like, that's not what they're saying. But they just walk really graciously with young believers and their sins. And so they're dealing with way more things because people are like, wait a minute, right? They're understanding as they walk with the Lord things that need to go away. But so often, what do we do? Especially if we've been walking with the Lord for decades and we're super smart about Jesus now. Is we're like trying to save them from all of their problems without necessarily explaining to them why. And so we're like, hey, you should stop doing these things. Well, think about it. Like if you explain to a child something, they just take it as like gospel truth. Remember one time I was talking to one of my kids. I said, hey, put your shoes on. He said, can I put my socks on first? It's a legitimate question. When I say put your shoes on, I just, I just mean go through the motions of being sure there are shoes on your feet. But his question was, are the socks allowed? It's the same kind of thing when we talk to young believers, right? Or immature believers, because you could be walking with Jesus 30 years and still be as immature as a newborn. Walking with Jesus, I should put in quotes too. And so we say, don't do that. And they hear, God may not love me. Can I put my socks on first? Right? Like it's the same kind of thing. And so we have to be incredibly gentle with people who are new in the faith and walk with them so they can realize what following Jesus really means. I was talking with Johnny. He's not here, so I'll tell the story. He's usually sitting like right there. And uh, we were driving back from a meeting, and we were just chatting about funny statements people make to elders. And one of them, were, one of them is, no, don't hear me the wrong way, but you probably will. Why aren't the elders doing anything about this? And we're not speaking about any specific statement, but just kind of things that you hear in pastoral ministry. How come the elders aren't doing anything about this? And Johnny and I are both kind of on the same page without even knowing it. It's like, because we're praying that you do something about it. Right? Like, we're praying that, that you deal with your business we're not going to deal with your business for you. You walk with the Lord. <laughs> like, that's, that's why we do that. And so I was like, man, high five, Johnny, because sometimes we're not on the same page, but this time we were rocking it. So sometimes lack of maybe direct intervention is not because of lack of direct knowledge, but because our energies are spent praying that you would grow up. And we'll roll with certain levels of people being silly, ourselves included, because we do that. Brad's shocked, I know, I know. <laughs> we will be okay with that if it's not harming the gospel, right? That's the key, if it's not harming the gospel, as we watch people continue to grow in the Lord, rather than go, don't do that. And then for the rest of their life, they're like, I was just told not to do it. I don't know why. I don't even know why I'm not supposed to do it. I was just told it was bad. And there isn't a category for how that might connect to Jesus, which also then means in our discipling of people, 
we have to spend so much time going back to why it matters to our Lord versus why it just matters to us, but why it matters to our Lord. Helping people connect. This is why it's good for the believer to walk this way. If we can't do that, then all we're starting to do is creating laws for people that they don't need that actually harm them. So I want to pray now that Genesis could be a church where Jesus is found, known, worshipped, exalted, and the people who follow him are free and do not continue to rebuild or build structures that do not save. Let me pray that for us now.